Some of you who have been injured by infidelity are going to find your healing on the other side of a marriage that has ended. I want to speak today to those couples who, after experiencing an affair, wonder, can we have a marriage that is more than just somehow limping along in survival? One that finds its way back to a kind of connection that is satisfying to both of us. With every confidence, I can say, yes, you can. And Ryan and I are firm believers that if our situation can be healed, then pretty much anybody's can. I mean, <laughs> Jen and I would both say that uh, we are both better people. We are stronger, and our relationship is way stronger than what it was in our, what we call our first marriage before we actually processed all this stuff. Mm-hmm. We absolutely enjoy um, life together. I know we're not perfect. Uh, we deal with a lot of things just like other couples do, but um, we both. I feel like have another level of commitment, maybe greater than some couples because of what we've overcome together. You just listened to Ryan and Jen. It's been seven years since the discovery of his multiple affairs, and they stand as an example of a marriage that can find its way towards real healing. And later in this podcast, I want you to hear more from my conversation with them. But how does a couple get there? How does a couple find their way back to satisfying intimacy again in their relationship? That's what we'll consider today as we look at connection, the fifth step of relationship renewal. Welcome to The Recovery Room, a podcast presented by AffairHealing.com. Here's your host, Tim Tedder. If you're listening to this podcast before listening to the four previous podcasts in the Relationship Renewal series, I encourage you to either go back and listen to them or read the earlier chapters in the Affair Healing Couples Guide. I've included information and links to all of those resources in the show notes for this podcast. Simply go to affairhealing.com slash podcast 209 and you'll see how to access those resources. Let me just quickly summarize the first four stages. The first, exposure. That's when the affair is either discovered or disclosed. The second stage is one of reaction in which each partner responds to the affair and begins to set up the momentum for the direction of their relationship in their lives. The third stage is one of clarity in which each person gains a clearer perspective of what happened in the past, especially information about the affair, where they are moving in the future, whether that is a shared goal or whether it's individual choices, and then what all of that means about their present and the choices they are making today. It is usually during this stage of clarity when permanent choices are made in regards to whether the marriage is going to continue or not. If both agree to continue working on the marriage, Then they move into the next stage, which is the stage of cooperation. This is the stage in which both agree to be partners together, moving the relationship towards a shared vision or goal. And that's very important, that each partner's view of the future and their goals for their relationship and their vision for what it can become, each of those visions or goals have enough overlap between them that they can be in agreement about the future they are going to work towards together. 
they become partners working each day to take steps towards that common goal. And that is the stage of cooperation. Moving through those four stages is a process in which both partners must be doing their part if there is going to be hope for reaching that final stage, the stage of cooperation. Most of the couples I work with will say that what they want on the other side of affair is not a marriage that somehow just manages to stay together and avoid divorce, but a marriage that becomes one in which they are both experiencing something satisfying, something connected, something that is trusting. And maybe that's what you want. You want your marriage to heal in such a way that you are once again experiencing connection with one another. Now, reaching connection in your marriage, it's not like crossing a line at the end of a race. <laughs> Healing spouses who are disconnected one moment, they don't just suddenly discover that, well, we've arrived back to intimacy again. One day we were just partners and then we wake up another day and all of a sudden we're connected. It doesn't quite work like that. The experience is more like moving towards the center of concentric circles. If you think of the relationship stages, especially the last three of clarity, cooperation, connection, as being concentric circles in which clarity is the outward circle, and then you move a little bit closer into the circle of cooperation, and then you ultimately hopefully move into that middle circle of genuine connection with one another, the path from the outward circle to the inward one is going to be one, not just a straight beeline towards the middle, but one in which it moves in and out of one circle to the next, sometimes experiencing something a little closer, sometimes moving out again. But the general progression of that path is one that winds certainly towards the center until that is more of the norm of the relationship. But some couples will experience connection, in moments of connection at least, even in the earlier stages of relationship renewal. But we're talking about getting to that stage where that becomes the norm of the relationship. You're not just cooperating as partners, you're connected as spouses, as lovers again. So what is the major difference between couples who are simply cooperating as partners and those who are experiencing connection again? There are a number of things we could say about it, but there is one ingredient that tends to be missing from simple cooperation that is necessary for connection. And that ingredient is vulnerability. Now, vulnerability is one of those words that is oftentimes misunderstood, I think, especially by men who think that vulnerability is somehow weakness, that being vulnerable means being open to defeat. But when we talk about relationship vulnerability, we're simply talking about the willingness to be exposed, the willingness to be honest, the willingness to be authentic with all the parts of us, the parts that are strong and confident and the parts that are weak and fearful. And we all have that stuff inside of us. Many of us spend our lives protecting it, pushing it down, not wanting to admit it. Both partners must come to the place where they're willing to be vulnerable. And each is likely to experience different obstacles in their way. For the betrayed spouse, of course, there is tremendous risk in entrusting your heart to someone who has broken their promises, stepped away from you, and pursued somebody else. The risk is so great, in fact, that some would say you shouldn't even take it. Once someone has stepped away that far and hurt you so deeply, never be vulnerable with them again. And I get it. And for some, that is a legitimate choice that they want to make. I'm not going to take that risk anymore. 
But for those betrayed spouses who still hope for a repaired marriage, there's going to be no path to that that escapes the need to be vulnerable. It is the unfaithful partner that must be vulnerable as well. They must be willing to step into conversations and encounters in which they allow themselves to be exposed to the pain that they caused and be willing to sit with it, to acknowledge it, to empathize with it, and do battle against that shame in them that rises up and pushes them to run away or to shut down and to not be exposed to that level of injury and hurt and pain. Vulnerability for both is necessary. And I realize that for some clients, the call to vulnerability is a call that they have never accepted before in their lives. And to do it now on the other side of this kind of injury when there's so much more at risk, it can be a daunting expectation. But it's a necessary one. If you struggle to understand vulnerability or to be vulnerable, I strongly encourage you to make use of resources that will help you in this, whether it's counseling or reading. In fact, on the resource page for this podcast, I'm going to list three books that I most recommend to people who want to understand the need for vulnerability and how to begin practicing that in their lives. There are three different books. All of them are excellent, but they might appeal to different kinds of people. So I will place the link to each book and give a brief description, and you can take a look and decide which one might be best suited for you, but I encourage you to at least make use of one of these books. Go to affairhealing.com slash podcast 209, and you'll see those books listed there. When a couple begins practicing vulnerability, you will see them taking risks with one another. Here are some examples of the kinds of risks that they might take. Despite feeling hurt, disappointed, or defensive, they choose to consider what the other person may need. They focus on remaining curious about the other's point of view, even when they don't agree with it, realizing that understanding each other is more important than convincing each other. They are willing to say, forgive me. Instead of keeping silent resentments, they risk being honest about what they think and feel because they want to be connected, not just get their way. They sometimes delay their own personal need in order to give attention to the other's need. When they feel angry, they talk about what's really going on under the surface. Fear, a sense of powerlessness, a sense of failure, hurt or pain, in order to help their partner understand. And the couples that risk They don't expect perfection. They let go of judgment and embrace grace. Later in this podcast, I want to give you three practical things you can do every day to help you strengthen your connection. But first, I want you to listen to the story of Ryan and Jen. Seven years ago, this young couple came to me. Jennifer had just found out that Ryan had been involved in many affairs during their relationship. Ryan wanted to fix their marriage Jennifer wasn't quite sure that's something she was willing to do. This couple worked through the stages of renewal, and I asked them to talk about what their marriage has become. People think that you're a weakling if you decide to stay and try to make it work. When my wife first heard about this, there was no pushover. I mean, she was very upset. I remember her pulling open silverware drawers and throwing stuff across the room at me. I remember her saying, this is not going to work. I don't even want to be with you. And it took a couple of days 
I mean, where she was like in the room in, in the back and I was sleeping on the couch in the living room and she'd come out and just at random times and scream stuff and did not want to be near me. It was several days later when she came out and was like, this is probably not going to work, but if there's any chance at all, I'm going to find a counselor. I'm going to tell you who it's going to be and you will call and make all the appointments and then attend all the appointments. And if you miss one, it is definitely over, but this is still probably not going to work. And, yeah. I said, and I said, you're just going to tell me when to show up. Yeah. I said, I'm not going to wait on you. I'm not going to ask you about it. You're going to continue to tell me what time the appointment is and when. And, e- and even after the first several meetings, I remember, and I know obviously you remember, Tim, I mean, our situation's deep. I mean, you're talking about dozens and dozens of, of people. You're talking years. I don't even know what it was, six or seven years of infidelity. This was really bad, right? So, But I think the only reason why I gave it a chance was because I saw when he told me how broken he was. Mm -hmm. I could see it on him. He was a totally different person than what I had experienced in the years prior. I mean, there was definitely an arrogance there before. And all I saw was, like, broken humility. He said, I know you're going to want to leave, but I'm asking you to stay with me. I want to make this right. And so that's why I said, well, I don't want to, but if you're really serious about feeling that way, then you will do all of this and prove to me that that's exactly how you feel. And he did all of that and more. Yeah, you guys certainly have a story that I remember as this unfolded and I'm finding out about it. You're one of those couples where you just kind of look at it and go, oh my goodness, can they really survive this? There's a lot of hurt and a lot of damage. But I will tell you, and I, and I just said this recently to another client, I mean, there are a lot of things that predict whether a couple is going to be able to move forward towards a, a marriage that not only experiences recovery, but renewal and a new expression or experience of connection and trust again. Um, but perhaps the biggest predictor of a positive outcome is that the one who was unfaithful moves quickly to embrace honesty, openness, and truthfulness, you know, and that's especially true if they're the ones that confessed it rather than being caught or found out. But even if someone's found out, if they come quickly to honesty, transparency, but then secondly, that they take on just what you insisted on, Jen, that they take the responsibility for, okay, I want to fix this. I broke it. I'm going to take responsibility for helping us get on the right track and assuring you that you can trust me. That's something you definitely did, but it still took time (laughs) <laughs> that was it was not a quick fix. No, it certainly wasn't. And I think that's a, I think you hit the nail on the head. Every situation's a little bit different, right? There are there are those who are actually caught in the middle of something. There's a major difference between those who are caught and those who are uh confessors, right? I think that I think that's a a key contributor. Yeah. The the ones that are the confessors are already demonstrating most likely that they've come to the place of recognizing I've done something wrong, and I'm going to embrace honesty. And the first expression of my willingness to be honest with you is I'm going to tell you something you might not have known about you know, without me confessing this. So that's, that's a pretty vulnerable statement. I will say that there are those who do get caught um, and have to struggle with the initial you know, being defensive, and most people will kind of fudge the truth, but come fairly quickly to embrace honesty. It's just a little bit harder for them to get there and... You know, as I mentioned earlier, I don't think Jen really felt initially like she wanted to make this work. But also, it's like, well, you do have seven or eight years of marriage under your belt with this person, right? Even though it was a dysfunctional marriage, 
you do have a relationship, et cetera. But, you know, Jen would tell you what I think one of the things that really helped us was the fact that I, I was very open about ways that I cheated. I gave her passwords to every email account I had. I welcomed her to check anything on the Internet, uh, any social media stuff that I was on that she had to complete access to that. I gave her, I gave her um, actual names of the people that, uh, that I had been unfaithful with, and she went through and blocked some of those. And to this day, years later, those blocks are still there. I, I think that honesty also helps show the partner that, uh, that you're trying to mend and trying to build a relationship. You're not hiding things anymore. You're confessing them. And, and I think that helps give the spouse confidence that uh, this person actually is yeah, I hate what they did, but they're serious about trying to move forward. You know what I mean? Yeah. Jen, how would you describe the changes in you since that beginning time? I mean, I, I know in your circumstances, you've got a couple of kids now, you know, you're living in a new place, but in regards to your relationship and how you feel about your marriage, what's different and how do you remember and explain the change from then to now? It's funny because I remember sitting on the couch in your office being like, I just don't think I will ever, ever be able to get over this. Like, I am upset with it and I'm obsessed with it. Like, I cannot stop thinking about the betrayal. I can't stop thinking about the pain of this. It's like my soul was cut deep and it was. And, you know, and I kept thinking I will never, ever be able to forgive him for this. I don't even understand like the depths of what real forgiveness feels like because I can't imagine feeling any type of forgiveness to him. And one thing is that he just went above and beyond to prove his love for me and prove just how much I meant to him. And uh, he really did win me back. And even though he had gone through all those steps and some time had passed, I didn't ever feel forgiveness at first, but I chose forgiveness. So it was a choice for me. It was a choice for me to do it. And I decided that I was just going to start acting like I was forgiving him, even though I didn't have the feelings of it. And the amazing thing that happened was when I chose action first over the feelings, the feelings did come eventually. The feelings of forgiveness and the okay. feelings of love came back, but it was different in a way that I loved him in a new way that I had never loved him before. The funny thing is, is that like, you know, here we are seven years later from when all of it happened. And like, I legitimately can say, I feel like zero thing about it now. I mean, you know, it happened and, I was hurt and everything. It's not that I don't acknowledge it, that it's there or I deny that it's there in my heart or anything. It's almost like when you get a deep wound, like I, I have a deep wound on my arm from when I was a kid where I fell down a slide and I got a really deep gash on my arm from uh, cutting my arm on a screw on the slide as I was sliding down. I remember that happening. I remember how bad it hurt, but here I am and I have this scar on my arm, but I don't feel the sting of it anymore. Like it's, yeah. it's I can see the scar and I can mm -hmm. feel the scar on my arm, but I don't feel any pain in it anymore. And that's how I feel about our situation as well. It's part of our story. It's a scar on our marriage, but I feel no sting anymore. I don't sit there and dwell on it. 
I used to think about it literally all day long back around the time, even eight months to a year after it just happened. And now I can honestly say like, I mean, I don't even know how long without even like thinking about it. Until your old counselor calls you up and asks you to talk about it again. (laughs) We were just counseling with another couple in our church that actually is going through it right now. And so I pulled out my old journal and read some of the stuff and I was actually reading it yesterday after talking to her and I just was like, wow, like it was just bringing me back to that dark, dark place of mm. emotions. And there was so much of it that I had, I had forgotten, you know, just of how deeply hurt I was and that, that just those feelings I had forgotten. So it was just amazing to even go back and read that and see how I, where I'm at today. I mean, we really worked on repairing our marriage and creating a new marriage and three years went by and then we decided to have a kid and then another three years went by and we decided to have another kid so here we are seven years and two kids later (laughs) (laughs) well i i love your story i love you guys i mean i love the fact that even though you'd have every right to say listen this is our healing and we're going to take it with us um and keep it to ourselves and I, i i some couples make that choice and it's a right choice for them you have decided to take your story of healing and grace and you share it with other people. I mean, you have a heart to come alongside other couples that may be struggling in similar ways and to help them see what healing can look like in their lives and their marriages too. And I think that that's great. I love that about you guys. And I'm thankful for the work you're letting God do through you and um, just the efforts you're making to tell a good story with your lives. It certainly took God in the middle of our marriage. I mean, we had to pray and allow God to extend grace to me, you know, in forgiveness, because I, mm-hmm. even to this day, can still struggle at times with guilt and forgiveness. You know, I have a, a real-life picture of what actual forgiveness looks like through my wife as well. I mean, she certainly didn't want to, to go that route. Uh, as she mentioned earlier, she chose forgiveness, and then really it was a, several months later until I think she really, really felt like, I actually do forgive you. Um, yeah, I mean, I had vindictive moments, too, if you remember, Tim, you know. <laughs> I, I remember, yes. <laughs> it was not this, like, I'm just going to forgive him, and it's going to be roses, <laughs> and it's going to be wonderful. I mean, it's... Yeah, when I hear that, I don't trust it anyway, so... You wanted to help heal us, whether that was us staying together or apart. Yeah. I never felt pressure from you to stay married. I never felt pressure from you to walk away. I think your big thing was you just wanted to see us healed whatever that may be. And Ryan and I are firm believers that if our situation can be healed, then pretty much anybody's can. I mean, (laughs) we've seen a few couples, probably, I don't know, maybe like 10 couples since we went through everything that we've either referred to you or people we've worked with here. And like, I think there was one couple where we were just like, no, that one's not going to happen. You taught us to believe in getting healed and whole, you know, no matter what that looks like, with still being a champion for marriage and staying together. Jen and I would both say that uh, we are both better people. We are stronger, and our relationship is way stronger than what it was in our, what we call our first marriage before we actually processed all this stuff. Mm-hmm. We absolutely enjoy um, life together. I know we're not perfect. Uh, we deal with a lot of things just like other couples do, but um, we both. I feel like have another level of commitment, maybe greater than some couples because of what we've overcome together. I will say this. No, we don't have a perfect marriage, but (laughs) this is kind of funny. I feel like we don't fight really over petty stuff. I don't know. There's some sort of just deeper communication or like 
commitment to each other or to working things out that comes from something like this to where I do feel like we do have a very strong marriage, we really don't fight that often anymore. And it's not because we're sitting here like, oh, we don't fight. Everything's great. Like we communicate so well now that it just, I don't know. I feel like there's nothing hidden. Yeah. It's a lot easier now to um, just coexist together, I guess. Well, it's funny too. Our friends are often, Jen, just last night, we're out, di- out to dinner with three other couples and cracks a joke, which, again, we're not um, minimizing what an affair is, et-, et cetera, but she even cracked a joke about my lifestyle in the first six to seven years of our marriage, and everybody at the table laughed at everything, but it was almost like they were more uncomfortable over than it we were. than we were. <laughs> and, 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 because again, we're at that point where yeah. we're just like, I mean, we will talk about it so freely. Yeah. People yeah. like kind of dance around it with us. We're like, no, you can ask us direct questions. <laughs> what, what do you want to know? Yeah. There's nothing we're hiding here. We have to tell you the truth about how we've processed or whatever. But you know, again, I want to make sure I'm clear. We're not minimizing, you know, no. affairs, et cetera. But the fact that you know where we were to start and how what a disaster that was to the point now where a joke can be cracked, you know, in front of our friends is, is, is that's a long ways, a long yeah. ways. Well, that's that's the thing. When a couple's willing to step into that pain together, and move towards the kind of vulnerability that helps establish trust again. You don't go through an experience like that and come out the other side of it and the normal things affect you the same way as they did. I think you come out with a greater capacity to really understand what it means to communicate honestly, to be vulnerable with one another. A marriage can't be the same on the other side of this. It's gonna change for better or for worse. And you're giving the example of the ways it can change for the better. If you're a couple wanting more help in this connection stage, the couple's guide I mentioned earlier includes a really good exercise for you to do together to help identify some good goals for you to move towards in your relationship. There are some other good books as well that I would recommend. I will post the information about those on the show notes for this podcast. Again, that's at affairhealing.com slash podcast 209. But let me give you right now three practical things you can do every day to help you strengthen your connection to each other. Think of this as taking your daily tea. T-E-A. It stands for touch, explore, admire. If you infuse a bit of vulnerability into each of these steps, you're going to find that you will experience a more secure bond in your marriage. So what is the daily tea? The tea stands for touch. Every day, you should be touching your spouse. Now, from the moment you were born, you needed to be touched. Physical touch has been an essential part of feeling comforted, connected, and secure in your life from before you can even remember. And it still is. Even if past experiences have conditioned you to put up defenses, you need touch. And your partner needs touch, too. I'm not just talking about sexual touch, although if it leads to that, enjoy. And I talk a little bit more about sex in the couple's guide. But the kind of touch I'm talking about right now, this daily touch, it's just simple things like a hand to the shoulder, an arm around the waist, a hug, holding a hand, kissing, leaning into your partner while you're sitting on the couch. Any physical connection intended to communicate, I like being with you. That's the kind of touch I'm talking about. Every day, I encourage you to be intentional about finding an opportunity to touch your partner in a way that communicates, I like being close to you. That's the T. 
Taking your daily tea, the E stands for explore. And what I mean by that is that every day you should both be having a kind of conversation that provides a window into each other's life. I want to encourage you to go beyond the kind of conversations that are simply, hey, how was your day? Oh, fine. How was your day? Oh, fine. What did you do? Oh, not much. What did you do? Hmm. Have the kind of daily conversation that really lets each other know what's going on in the experience of your life and in your thinking and in your feeling during the day. That's what, that's what lovers do. And of course, there are going to be some days that are rather mundane and boring and other days that are a little bit more exciting. But there are always things that we can share with one another. And if you're not sure what to talk about, I'd suggest at least trying to answer these questions. What was the best thing that happened to you today? What was the worst thing that happened? Talk about something you encountered in the day that was new, a new idea, a new person, a new situation, a new anything. Saying, I don't know, is not an acceptable answer to the question. You can always come up with a legitimate answer to these questions if you give a little thought to them. And if you do struggle to come up with something significant to talk about, I might suggest you need some fresh input in your life. Read something new. Research something that's interesting to you. Follow the news. Join an online discussion group. Or, or take a new challenge. Or take on a new project. Talk about these things, whatever they are and ask each other questions. The daily T involves a third step. A stands for admire. Each day, encourage your spouse by telling them one thing you appreciate about them. I mean, there's always something good to say. This may feel uncomfortable if you're not used to doing it, but it's a great way to exercise your vulnerability. Sincere expressions of admiration and encouragement go a long way in helping two people form a more significant connection. You may want to point out something good they said or something good they did, a good memory you had about them, ways you missed them or thought about them during the day, changes you've noticed in them. You might point out a physical quality that you like or a personality quality that you enjoy, an accomplishment. Talk about anything about them that makes you happy. And remember, as you take your daily tea, as you touch, as you explore, as you admire. Work hard to infuse vulnerability into each of those steps. And to the degree that you do, you will find connection growing in your marriage. Let me end by saying one thing. And this is meant to be an encouragement, but it may sound discouraging to you. Here's the truth. You're going to get it wrong. And you're going to get it wrong a lot. The best marriages out there struggle at times. And you're not even up to the best marriage standard yet. So, of course, you're going to struggle. And, of course, you're going to fail. Expect it. But your failures can become opportunities to dive back into vulnerability and, once again, offer your heart. Avoid the tendency on the other side of disappointment or failure to close down, to back away, or to become aggressive or angry. Begin seeing these moments of disappointment as challenges to return to a place of vulnerability and commit to the connection that you're building together. Not every marriage survives infidelity. Not every marriage should. But some can and do. And if you and your spouse have committed to a process of moving towards marriage renewal, I hope you will find that too. Give it time. Do your part. Continue coming back to grace and hope. Encourage one another. Be honest with each other. 
And as you do, you will be telling a wonderful story of relationship renewal. The Recovery Room Podcast is a resource provided by AffairHealing.com. For more information about the podcast and resources for Affair Recovery, including archives of past programs and the schedule for upcoming ones, please go to AffairHealing.com slash podcast. I'm your host, Tim Tedder. See you next time.